Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. My name's Dan Morganti. You're listening to Bite Into It, and joining me tonight is the wonderful Lily Ryan. How's your week in tech been, Lily? been it's been it's been amazing been updating all my stuff to the latest apple os whatnot because i'm i'm firmly in that walled garden at the moment and so yeah it's been an interesting time figuring out what's new what's changed what's not um the annoying part i think from my end is that there's this uh this new feature with siri where you can activate siri just by saying siri and i'm kind of looking at my phone nervously to make sure i haven't accidentally (laughs) done it um if if that happened to you at home i'm very sorry yeah but um yeah there's been some pretty interesting things that have that have slipped in there which has been making my week yeah fun how about you um i've been using monday.com which is a um business software which just real boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or AKA Make, spreadsheets to the sequel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we use it for job lists at work. So we write uh, the job that needs to be completed and then we have the little uh, green, yellow, red stoplight for completed, working on it, um, good to go. Um, that's basically it's so boring. <laughs> that's hey, all we look, can it, take. It's, it's what gets stuff done, right? Yeah, exactly. Um Tonight we'll be hearing from Dr. Tao Fan, a feminist science and technology stu- uh, studies researcher who specialises in the study of gender and race in algorithmic culture. She's a research fellow at the ARC Centre of Excellence for Automated Decision Making and Society and the Emerging Technologies Research Lab at Monash University. Then we'll be joined by Nico King from Chaos Theory Games about his involvement in International Games Week, as well as a new game from the studio soon to be released called Crab God, Mother of the Tide. I'll just tease you with that now because we'll hear about it uh, when we chat with Nico. First, we got a, we got a little news. Um, yeah, yeah, what's happening in the world this week? What fresh hell is this? Yeah, so uh, Tom Hanks, of all people, is um, sounding the alarms. Um, he wrote Beware on, he, on an Instagram post. Uh, there's a video out there promoting some dental plan with an AI version of him. Uh, promoting uh, some dental plan. He hasn't mentioned the company or any links to the ad for smart reasons. The likeness used by this campaign appears to be generated from an image of the actor owned by the Los Angeles Times, which is an interesting, like, I wonder if they'll uh, jump into the fight with uh, that image is owned by us. How do you use it for AI generation? So how do we know that it's the real Tom Hanks? Um, <laughs> protesting the deepfake Tom Hanks. This could be another layer of AI running his uh, Instagram account. Who knows? But... Yeah, well, now that anyone can buy a verified tick on a bunch of places and we've got increasingly good deepfakes, how do we How do we know? This is a can of worms that is, uh, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of if we, um, like, I, I just spiral out of control every time I think about it. Like, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of scenario. Yeah, but, you know, Tom Hanks famously one of the last uncancelled men in Hollywood, I think. Yeah. Hopefully remains so. Yeah. I don't know, I'm sure someone News will headline, me Tom afterwards. Hanks has been accused of being a really nice man. Oh, no. Yeah. This also comes after the strike of uh, the Screen Actors Guild and the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, two guilds that are very concerned with 
AI technology in the use of media creation, specifically movies. The WGA has come to a, an agreement recently with the studios in the US. It's believed that uh, some of those agreements were about studios using AI written content and the studios not being able to prominently use that material as the seed for a story. So I think it leaves room open for punch-up, you know, to use a writing term, but not generation of a, of a whole story and script. I really want to take a second to appreciate the amazing show of, like, human solidarity and worker solidarity that pulled this off. It's yeah. absolutely incredible and really does go to show that you know, when you band together and when you stand for something, you can achieve things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it um, yeah, just highlights the necessity for unions all over the world and in all industries. The SAG as well, um, they're uh, standing against the studios using a scan of a background actor's face to be owned in perpetuity. So they want to get background actors and extras, take a photo of their face for one day's pay of work and then use that scan of their face in AI in the background of movies in perpetuity, just forever. So that's another thing that the SAG is fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you get started in a career if they take your face immediately? Yeah. Which is a very 2023 sentence. I'll, I'll tell you what, they can have my face. Um, uh, no one's in hot demand for my face, so oh. I, I, need, I need to get it out there more, I think. Well, it's a good thing you're in radio. Yeah, that's it. A face for radio. What else has been happening? The iPhone 15 is now on fire. Uh, that might be a bit of hyperbole. It's running very hot. Um, <laughs> so Apple blames iOS 17 bugs and other apps, not uh, taking this blame squarely on their shoulders, for making the iPhone 15S run hot. Apple has said that update 17.1 will address issues causing the iPhone to overheat, as well as updates already rolling out um, for third-party apps. So they've acknowledged the, the the problem with their new iPhone being overheating, not you know just um, pointless reiteration of their technology. Yeah, I'm on an Android. It doesn't doesn't <laughs> worry me. I'm reminded of the time they famously told all of their users that if they were getting poor signals because they were holding the iPhone wrong yeah. <laughs> uh, back in the day. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that they've, they've pushed those updates now. Yep. I, don't, I don't have an iPhone 15, but there was another update after that as well uh, that had uh, was correcting something or other. That's mm. why I updated, updated yep. this week because th they've squished some of the earlier bugs. I think people are getting on board with the, the fact that incremental change in smartphones just isn't worth a new phone every single year, um, which I am hap more than happy to spruik that... Uh, you should probably just buy used phones. That's what I've that's what I've been doing. I'm in the market for used phones, um, and that way you know that they're probably not going to overheat and explode on you. Um, oh, ideally, time tested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. for something you would probably put in your pocket or next to your face. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else has been happening in uh, the world of tech? Lily? Brand new tech been released uh, or been announced rather from Raspberry Pi, which is exciting for people who are fans of very very small computers that yeah. can do. <laughs> you know things really well so the raspberry pi is a you know famously credit card size it's actually you can get them a lot smaller than that now but computer that uh is a very bare bones kind of thing uh is designed to be used in a multiple uh, multiplicity of of cases but is popular in education is popular for 
building lots of IoT stuff and other kinds of gadgets and DIY home projects and things like that. So the Raspberry Pi 5 was announced as coming out, like it's being released at the end of the month. You know, they've they've beefed it up a bit. Uh, like everything else is kind of, there's just some nicer, smarter improvements to most of the components. There's, you know, they make it a bit heftier, you know, yep. chunkier kind of deal. But uh, they, in addition to the announcement, they also kind of, in some ways, it was a little overshadowed by uh, another announcement that they made recently where they have also hired a new brand ambassador person. I think he's their new maker in residence. Okay. Um, and this is this guy who was uh, formerly a police officer and was using Raspberry Pis to make surveillance equipment and disguise it because the Raspberry Pi is very small. And so as a cop, his job was to surveil I suppose. Yeah. And he had built a lot of stuff with that using the Raspberry Pi. This did not go down well with other people who were fans of the Raspberry Pi. because no. uh, It's not uh, something that a lot of people would want to be aligned with, police surveillance. So, mm. yeah. I'm just interested to hear that people use Raspberry Pis for anything other than game emulators. Because when I try to think of what else I could use it for other than uh, surveillance camera, the only thing that comes to my mind is emulator. And they're very good at it as well. Uh, yeah. I've made one or two myself. I highly recommend for that reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm running uh, my smart home off of one. Oh, and really? I got, yeah, I've got some, a couple of other things I've done with them over yeah. time. They're really flexible, which is great. You, and that's part of the point of them is that you can do a lot with them. But in this case, this was notable, uh, particularly on Mastodon, for this guy, this new uh, maker-in-residence, becoming what some people were referring to as Mastodon's first main character of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you can always tell when it's a you know social network emerging and somebody becomes the main character for that day. And that was Raspberry Pi and their new brand ambassador, um, because there are a lot of people who use the Raspberry Pi for fairly anti-law enforcement kinds of things as yep. well. And many people who are fans of the free and open source ethos that underpins a lot of the Raspberry Pi. Yep. And uh, so they, they did not take it very well. Um, Raspberry Pi also in their, in their response to that was not very receptive to the criticism and did a lot of blocking and muting and, and so on and so forth. So maybe nature is healing some good old fashioned internet <laughs> controversy yeah. happening uh, on some of these uh, more emergent social media yeah. platforms. Well, good to know that the Raspberry Pi 5 is out now if you uh, want to get your hands on a very tiny computer. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. And right now in the studio with us, we have Dr. Tao Fan from Monash University, who is here to talk to us about AI, data, machine learning, and uh, the upcoming AI study in AI art and race, which is being held in December this year. Dr. Fan, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. This event sounds incredible. Um, there are a lot of really interesting and gnarly questions that you're getting into here that I think are only ever becoming more timely, if that's a way to use the word timely. Mm -hmm. How group-based differentials such as race, gender and sexuality are shaped by data-driven technologies and AI systems and the work that 
the people in the community are doing to address it. Can you tell us more about what the study is and what the what the goal is? Mm-hmm. So the study is an event I'm curating with Andrew Brooks, who's one half of the creative writing collective Snack Syndicate, uh, and Joel Stern, who's the former artistic director of Liquid Architecture, who's now based at RMIT. All three of us are more or less are interested in art, more or less are interested in studying race, more or less are interested in questions around algorithms, machine learning, AI and so on. And so together we're bringing together writers, researchers, artists, activists and critical thinkers of all kinds for a day of study, of speculative thinking, talking, listening and experimentation on the topic of AI, race and art. And we're calling it a, a study. So that is a, a temporary school that, that interrogates AI and race, you know, developing new methods and approaches to study that draws from and feeds into artistic methods and strategies. And, you know, it kind of begins with this proposition that the challenge of understanding race in the contemporary moment really requires responses that are, you know, equal parts, creative, critical, technical and collective. And we're looking at AI, race and art because these are all topics that need to be studied, you know, that must be studied because they have implications on things like subjectivity, on politics, on inequality and aesthetics and so on. And there's so few occasions for us to really have these kinds of conversations. You know, the thing I'm really most proud of with this event that we're putting on, it's on um, December 2nd, which is a Saturday, is that it's going to be completely free. We've got bursaries available. Um, So if you go from interstate, you're listening from elsewhere and you need to come and need money to do so, that's available for you as well. We're doing this as a a co-sponsored, like a collaborative event brought together by my Centre of Excellence, the ARC Centre of Excellence for Automated Decision Making and society as well as in collaboration with art in australia australia's longest like running art magazine and the center of visual art at vca it sounds like very well spoken it sounds like your your passion for this kind of thing is quite evident Mm. what are you hoping to achieve with the big study in are you hoping to get all the people there on the same train of thought and working towards the same goals what's the study in for the study in really is because i think there are a lot of people who are sort of dancing around these questions of like what is race today you know what's happening to the race and to race in the age of AI and to give you some kinds of context I mean I'm a feminist science and technology studies scholar uh, so if you don't know what that is that's science and technology studies is a field of research that treats science and scientific knowledge as objects of study so we ask questions like you know what counts as scientific knowledge and why you know who is given authority in these important knowledge making communities and who isn't and importantly for someone like me who's a feminist STS scholar you know what is the role of science and technology in actively constituting categories like gender race ability class and nation and so I apply these questions to the study of AI and algorithms things that do things like you know identification classification, recognition, things that classically, you know, race has done as a technique and as a kind of technology in society as well. When it comes to the questions that you're raising here, there is, I think, in the way that you're framing them, an inherently critical view where you are talking about how these things are changed and shaped by AI. When it comes to the data sets that we're talking about here Mm. and the applications we put them to in whatever context we're using, there are a couple of different schools of thought, one of which is that this needs to be something that is improved because we know that 
most and all data sets are inherently biased in some way or other mm. and will reflect the social biases we already have and therefore amplify them and feed them back in on themselves. And that leads to things like facial recognition technologies, really misclassifying people who are underrepresented in the data sets mm. in various ways, which often includes ethnic minorities, gender minorities, and so on. So there's the one school of thought that says, well, this sucks and we need to make it better. And then another school of thought that says, this sucks and we shouldn't be doing it at all. Which side of that divide do you fall on? Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm very sympathetic to the more the more critical side of that divide, which is the, the refusal. Um, because I think we often talk about these technologies as if they're here and they're happening and there's nothing we can do to stop them. But there is the power of refusal there. You know, there is one thing to say, you know, there are data sets and they're not perfect and they need to be improved. But in improving them, we don't challenge the logic of extraction and exploitation. You know, if anything, we just diversify them. You know, I've done a lot of writing in the past on the gendered voice of Siri and the gendered voice of like digital assistants. Mm -hmm. And there's lots and lots of critique around like why they feminize default female voice for lots of those things. And we have lots of examples now of, um, I know you were saying earlier that you use the, the non-binary voice for your Siri. Yeah, that's you, right. Yeah. And so, uh, which is great and all, but now it's like, great. So now we like can collect the data of queers as well. You know, it's sort of like, it's a really difficult thing um, and a difficult thing to balance because it's you, what you're doing is is like you have a little corporate microphone in your house now right and so a lot of the logic behind like why they're feminized is because it's around it's like this non-challenging non-threatening voice in the home it plays into these histories of servitude and domestic labor and so on it exudes a certain power differential like a power relationship where you feel like you're in charge of the device but that's not really what's happening there you know the device is really you know extracting things from you and so it's really it's hard but Having said that, I understand like the desire to be included is so powerful. The desire to feel represented is is not trivial, but I think we need to have both on the table and there needs to be a choice there. And sometimes if you go for one option, you tend to foreclose the other. It seems like you've been thinking about this for a while and working on this kind of thing for a while. How has society and this kind of technology fared when representing people from different backgrounds and genders? Are we getting better at it or is it something that's getting worse and really just there to extract more value out of us, like you were saying? Yeah, I mean, I guess I suppose what you mean by better, right? And yeah. so, I mean, the real big value of machine learning is that it's able to do really like refined processes and techniques of differentiating and sorting, which is precisely what race is or precisely what these identity categories are all about. So if we're saying, are there more categories to choose from? Are there more forms of recognition happening? Then yeah, definitely there are. But for what purpose? I mean, the one, the one example I would bring up is that you have commercial platforms that they do a lot of algorithmically determining identity for the purposes of targeted advertising, right? So Facebook, for example, very controversially use a technique called ethnic affinity targeting. If you, I don't know if you've heard of this. No, but this <laughs> yeah, sounds got, dark. Yeah, yeah, I've got one nod and one disagree. But so, so ethnic affinity targeting, was, it was controversial for two reasons. So firstly is that it allowed advertisers to target audiences based on, on what were very racialized categories. So you could have an ad and you can say, show this to people who are African-American, US Hispanic or Asian-American. But controversially, you could also say, withhold content from audiences that are African-American, Asian-American or US Hispanic. And so you could have an ad for housing or an ad for scholarships and whatever and then not show them to particular audiences, which is, you know, a clear violation of like, you know, discrimination acts and so on. And it is essentially replicating this very real world system we've had for a really long time where you have now digital redlining. Yes. You, you know, mm -hmm. excluding people based on these categories in the digital space. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. And a lot of academics have written about it in that way. Ruha Benjamin is a really wonderful academic from the States who writes about digital redlining. And there's lots of lots of that kind of like replication in the digital world of the stuff that we've done for a long time here. But when machine learning comes in in a really interesting way, and this is like the second part that makes it controversial, is that Facebook doesn't directly ask users to identify themselves according to race. They infer your race based on your behavioural data, right? So they use proxy indicators, things like your, your language use, your search terms, your IP address and so on to infer which ethnic affinity category you belong to, which is a weird and unusual <laughs> and very strange way of doing race because it completely divorces like race from the body and it completely divorces race from anything like self-identification. It also sort of divorces it in this weirdly legal sense in some jurisdictions from having to directly collect that data, right? Mm. Because it is often illegal in a lot of places to collect data about sensitive categories like, like race and ethnicity, uh, political affiliation, religious beliefs, and so on and so forth, directly from somebody. So if you're not directly collecting it, but you're inferring it from the mammoth amount of data you have somewhere else, there are probably loopholes they're squeezing through there as well in order to get that and use it in exactly the same way. Yes, exactly. And there's like a precise government loophole that's used for state surveillance. So in the NSA leaks, uh, the Snowden leaks with the NSA, you know, it was revealed that they were uh, using these proxy indicators to determine foreignness. Right. Because if you were a U.S. citizen, then you were not allowed to be surveilled. But if you were foreign, then you were allowed to be surveilled. Right. And how did they determine foreigners? Well, based on all these proxy indicators. And if you were 51 percent, 51 percent foreign, then you are an open target for surveillance. Wonderful. Oh, my God. This is. uh, Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that occurs to me frequently when we're thinking about this is not just how existing social structures um, or social biases are represented in these data sets and then become amplified, but also the ways that these technologies then get used to, that will augment things in future as well. One of the other patterns that we see in terms of gender in particular, I think, is when you have a, a productivity service of some sort and Productivity is something that comes up a lot in conjunction with AI mm. when people are saying, oh, well, you know, if we're able to do all of these things faster, then we'll be more productive mm. without ever really defining what productive means. But I am wondering what your thoughts are, too, on the way that as things become, quote unquote, easier to do, they become slightly less prestigious and therefore there are gender categories associated with that as well Mm. we see this in in a lot of different ways where particularly with regard to women and feminized labor you have coding for example which was seen as something that it's it's now more technical and therefore men can do it and then you know it's not perceived as something that women should be able to do and then you move on and now it's like well you know front-end coding, I guess, you know, that's that's for girls, maybe. Mm. And a lot of these other stereotypes that come into it. As things are increasingly automated, there are also these expectations about labor and who can do what. And I feel that this aspect of things is something that is not as explored as just these sort of direct AI data representations. But what are your thoughts on how you think the use of these models will shift things if left to kind of run their current course? And What are your hopes for things like the study and my challenge about that? Mm, Yeah, I mean, I think all the things you raised there around labour is so interesting. Um, So interesting, I mean, it connects directly with the the SAG-AFRA strikes that we are talking about before, where so much of it is around protecting the value of labour in the age of AI, in which AI 
isn't it's not solving anything, but it is being used as an excuse by management to take rights away, to make certain types of work less prestigious and therefore pay less, right? And we see that all over different kinds of workplaces. So uh, warehouse work is a really famous one uh, where you have sort of different tasks that are being sort of whittled away. So instead of having like one worker who has a range of tasks that they need to fulfill, automation comes in. It doesn't replace that worker, but what it does is replace specific tasks that they do such that the only things that are left are the things that are unautomatable. And what's left is considered like unskilled labour, right? And and again, that's like incredibly racialised in particular ways, especially in warehouses, especially manual work. But the same thing happens in things like administrative work, like those really like feminised work around reception, receptionists, uh, like HR, that kind of thing. Anyone who works in a university will know this, especially the kind of administrative labour, the way that is like highly feminised and the way they bring in systems that are automated to say, oh, now that work is automated, we don't need these people anymore and they fire them. But actually what happens isn't an automation, it's like a privatisation and redistribution of labour. You don't have one central person approving all the time cards anymore. You have each individual, like a lecturer, approving time cards now. And then you're kind of compressing that labour in terms of productivity. It's not just that people can be more productive, but they're often framed as labour-saving devices. But what really happens is people are then expected to do this in addition to other stuff. Exactly, and, exactly. you know, you never have that luxury gay space communism future, <laughs> you know, fully automated luxury gay space communism future where we're all sitting around. luxury space communism that was promised. It was never yeah, yeah, we're not out there sipping martinis, enjoying our free time. <laughs> Instead, we're being like super 10 times productive because, you know, the ability's there, right? Yes, exactly. And I always feel that way about ChatGPT. Anyone every time talks about ChatGPT mm. in the workplace? If you're using it in your workplace, I really feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like, yes, you can like do more work now, but then that will, will set the new standard for work. The new pace of work is like, oh, great, I can, fi- I can write a first draft in 10 minutes instead of four hours. It's like, well, your boss is then going to say, well, then you can do 10 times more the amount of drafts per day instead of the one, yeah. you know, instead of the one. And so this is, you, you, really, you really do yourself a great disservice if you do those kinds of things. If you say, my work is so unvaluable that even this like, you know, robot over here can do it. What about the art aspect of your study? And we've sort of touched a lot on the AI, the data practical realities of things but when it comes to art as well how how does that intersect with this whole field of Mm. research the inquiry that you want to do on this day in particular Mm, yeah I mean the art aspect I think is really important because I think artists are the ones who are really pushing the boundaries on what's possible here creative minds are so wonderful at like taking something that is built for one purpose and doing something else completely with it Um, and so you know we have all these particular kinds of algorithms that are designed for optimization to like labor saving devices and so on and people like fuck with them in particular ways you know we have a lot of artists involved so so Andrew and Joel who are both my co-curators they're they're both like practicing artists as well Joel in particular is part of this group called Machine Listening and they do a a lot of work around um, the politics of of always on devices that are around us so your Siri your Google Home your whatever Uh, and they've done things like create tools to to help us understand like the ways in which machines are listening to us. So for example, they've got a tool called the word processing tool. It's like an automatic speech recognition tool and you can go in and it'll show you all the different kind of metadata that's attached to all the words that gets automatically transcribed by an algorithm. And then you can go in and see like, you know, how does that matter? How is it classifying me? What's going on there? And it, they're able to give you an interface to look behind the machine, you know, open the black box and do those kinds of things. Uh, and that's where the artists come in. They really like help us to like do a lot of this translation work and do a lot of like the fucking with work that artists do so well. (laughs) Well, okay, so we've got artists, we've got technologists, data scientists, 
all kinds. Who should be applying to this and where can they do it? I think anyone who's interested in AI, race and art, to be honest, critical thinkers of all kinds. Like I said, you know, if you're a writer, if you're an activist, if you're a technical person, if you're in data science, if you're in computer science, we would love, love to have you to come, you know, to have people there who understand on a really like intimate level how a model works. That is invaluable. And that's something that, you know, people who are invested in racial justice today need to get a hold on. But it can feel so intimidating and feel really difficult. And this... This event really is designed as a space to have these kinds of difficult conversations, to bring these diverse groups together, to do the important work that needs to be done to get where we need to be. Wonderful. So this is artinaustralia.com? Mm-hmm. That- yep. If you just scroll down, you'll see a link to the study in on AI, race and art. Magnificent. Thank you so much, Dr. Taufan, for coming in and talking with us about AI and art and machine learning and everything that goes with it. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. Nico King is a founder at Chaos Theory Games, which is a game development studio dedicated to solving problems using emerging technologies, games for good, and social impact. Nico has been involved in the Games for Change Asia Pacific Immersive Arcade, running today at Acme. And uh, one of the games that is coming out from Chaos Theory Games is Crab God, an atmospheric underwater god game where you must restore the environment to sustain your children. Nico, thanks so much for coming on to bite into it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Going on at the moment is the AGDAS, the Australian Game Developers Award 2023. Can you be our reporter on the ground? Are you aware of any of the winners of uh, anyone at the AGDAS? I, I am at the Aggers right now. In fact, I've just ducked off into a storage closet to, to take this call. <laughs> Very much appreciate it. No, most welcome. Yeah, it's just getting started. So the no uh, winners have been announced yet, um, but there should be a press release going out tonight, which will uh, include those details. So it's all very exciting. The the suspension is very high. Yes. Yeah. What, how are you involved in the awards? We are attending this year. Um, we've won some awards previous years, but this year we're just coming to, to show our support. It's all put on by uh, IGEA, which is the industry body for games in Australia. They do an excellent job of just creating an event that's a beautiful celebration of all of the hard work that everybody's put into their projects. And yeah, just a, a great time. Just a lover of video games in Australia. So you've been involved in the Games for Change Asia Pacific Immersive Arcade. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Immersive Arcade happened today, and it's put on by an organization called Games for Change Asia Pacific, and it's a sort of global community of people that develop games for real-world purposes. So there are all sorts of different games that fit within that. Um, There's social change, there's education, there's healthcare, and sort of everything in between. But yeah, the through line of that is just games that have some sort of positive influence on people's lives or the world around us. Uh, Games for Change Asia Pacific, uh, we were one of the founding members, and we've helped organize the festival the previous few years. This year we put on an interactive showcase uh, at Acme, it was sponsored by Acme, and it was really just an intimate game development showcase with uh, a few select game developers from across the APAC region. Uh, And it was just a a great experience where uh, people from the public got to come in, speak to the developers about what their projects were, play some games. As game developers, it's always really, really rewarding to see people play your games, especially with digital games. It's so often that you don't see the end result. You work for hundreds or thousands of hours on a project, and then you put it out into the public, and you don't really see the emotional response that people can, can get from interacting with the games. Did you get to watch people play Crab God today? 
I did. Yeah, no. How was that for you? Awesome experience. Um, we've, yeah, we've been working on the project for about nine months now. Uh, sort of last week was the first time we'd done a public playtest. Um, we did that in Sydney, but this is the the second time, and it's just it's awesome to yeah finally be able to show people what we're working on and and get their feedback. Some people just absolutely fall in love with the game and the art style and the the crabs that we've included. <laughs> yeah. The game isn't released yet. It's uh, going to be coming out sometime soon. Can you just tell us? what Crab God is about and um, what style of game it is? Sure. Crab God is a uh, 3D side-scrolling god game that sits within the strategy simulation genres. But basically, you take on the role of a giant crab that is a god, uh, and your (laughs) role is to raise your little crab babies to be crab gods in their own right. You can sort of shape the environment to create a little ecosystem, produces food, and then you go on a great migration from the Great Barrier Reef to the Mariana Trench. You've brushed on a little bit and then um, spoken about the social impact for games. Does Crab God involve a social impact for good? Yeah, yeah. I guess our philosophy with game design is we want to create games that have substance, but it fundamentally they're they're still games. They're things that people want to play and want to engage with. So we're making a, a good, great game that's putting out into the public. We're going to release it on Steam and consoles. And it's a game that people would want to download, but then it just has a lot of content in there that has substance to it, is looking to build interest in, and connection with the coral reefs, as well as we've, we're do, uh, planning on donating 10% of the profits to a micro-donation system. So basically, by playing the game, you get to do things like, say, baby sea turtles or clean up ocean plastic or plant trees. So it does have a positive impact uh, in a few different ways. And you've mentioned also, and we've mentioned a couple of times, that that this week is Melbourne International Games Week and one of the highlights of Melbourne International Games Week is the Agdas that you're at right now. Um, There's this thing at Acme this weekend. It's PAX coming up. But there's so many things going on all around that. Um, For you, what are the upcoming highlights? Because, you know, the week is only half over. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's always more events than we could possibly go to. I think for me, one of the events that I'm very much looking forward to is the, I think it's the Games Big Night Out, which is happening in Federation Square tomorrow. And there's a Cult of the Lamb live production that's happening. Uh, Stray Gods are involved in that as well. So it just sounds like a, a very different and unique celebration of the art form that is games. Oh, that's incredible. And I know that there'll be uh, definitely a, a lot of Bite Into It listeners who are out there tonight, either on stage or in the crowd at a lot of these kinds of events. If you wanted to find out more about Games Week, it's uh, what, gamesweek.melbourne, right? So. Yeah, running through until uh, this Sunday, I think 8th of October. And uh, Crab God is the game that you folks are working on at the moment. When's that one going to be unleashed on the public? So it should be coming out first half of next year is, is what we're aiming for. But, if yeah, if you follow us on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, or if you wish listed on Steam, uh, we'll be doing some sort of closed beta testing before that, getting engagement and, and feedback from people who are interested in playing it. So reach out and you'll be able to play the game. And just before you go, Nico, is there anything that you've seen, like in these Games for Good recently, that you were really impressed by at the latest events? I think... Yeah, two, two games that are up for the nomination for Impact Game at the Agdas this year. The the Flying Canoe is just an audio experience that's designed to bring families back together. It's very different and unique, and I think it's just a, an awesome showcase of what games can do and what games can be. Earthlingo is another game about exploring a planet and learning a language while you do it. Uh, and again, just very different and novel 
use of games to uh, have some sort of impact or have some sort of positive effect on the world around us. Awesome. That, like, it, it's so great to hear someone who has such a passion for, for video games, especially um, during Melbourne International Games Week. Nico, we won't keep you too long. Um, I'm sure you've got a lot of celebrating to do at the Agders. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me and have a happy Melbourne International Games Week for everybody. <laughs> thank you very much. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. We got some weird news, Lily. Yeah, this is uh, something I noticed in the sizzle today. So shout out to Anthony, as per usual for surfacing some really interesting stuff. So there is this uh, pendant, which is the latest thing in terms of you know ai backed startups yep. it's a, a wearable pendant and it captures all of the audio that happens around you so it's supposed to have yeah it has a microphone in it it listens to everything you wear it all day and it syncs with an app on your phone and then it transcribes that stuff so you can you know listen back to it later on it, it's apparently a 59 bucks uh, it's not out yet you can put your email in but it's called the rewind pendant and it's supposed to be a a cool use of AI of, of some kind, which people are having various reactions to. When I hear something like this, um, just like all I can think about to what ends, like are you having conversations that are really that important that you need to, I'm tired of conversations while I'm in the middle of them generally and I'm the one speaking. <laughs> what if so... I want to relive the horror of an awkward conversation over and over again? <laughs> Not just in my mind. Yeah, but, yeah I need uh, to say it on, yeah, on digital. No, so are you saying, sorry, did you say that it, it automatically transcribes, so I can get like a physical transcription. It transcribes it onto your phone, yeah. So in the app, they they have a list of the use cases on their website, which includes things that I would actually find useful. You know, forget what your spouse just asked you to pick up at the grocery store. Okay, I can see how this could be an accessibility aid um, oh, as yeah. a thing. And then there are things like be more present in your day to day and bookmark moments for later. To what end? I'm not certain, but you know, the irony of like having to be on your phone to be present in a moment that passed instead of the moment. <laughs> that you're in at this current moment. Many questions around that. Uh, but, that's, yeah. that's cooking my noodle. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's automatic to-do list generation. Whenever you verbally commit to doing something to someone else, which honestly is a feature that I could probably use, but I don't know if I want to do that at the expense of having a thing that's uh, around my neck listening to everything, um, mm. particularly if the people around me are not also aware that this is what is going on. I will say like the idea of this like automated accountability, not in like the accounting sense, the accountability is in like to each other. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. It reminds me of like these uh, tools that you have, like when you put in the middle of a meeting to measure who talks the most. Mm. Yeah, and there's some um, Jitsi, right? Like the, the Jitsi is this uh, like free and open source video conferencing software that and has one of these things that has a timer on how long people have been speaking for. And I haven't seen something like this in Zoom, presumably because there would be corporations that would riot. I think, if this were a statistic that were pulled out in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I mean, on the other hand, it could also be a way of, like, catching people out when they're, like, gaslighting you, just to be like, I have it, I have it here, you said this, <laughs> you did say this, I didn't make it up. I mean, so much of this stuff, I mean, sadly, so much of this stuff is, like, you, there's so much, like, forms of abuse and things, and these things are, like, you know, folded into, it could be somebody sneaks it into, like, their partner's pocket and is listening to them all the time. Yeah, well, exactly, like, you always Like air that. tags or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 
there's one more here. Um, capture the incredible things your young kids say so you can replay them later and reminisce. Oh, my God. Which, the kids say the darndest things. Uh, they sure do. And also, you know, is this supposed to really be able to capture all the stuff of all the people around you all the time? Like, you know, especially if it's designed to be worn like jewellery. I think I would forget about it in the end and then never, like, go back and edit or record whatever. Like, so I'm just recording for nothing. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even be well, wearing it. that's where the AI comes in. It would do it for you, uh, apparently. And then summarise and do all these bits and pieces so like you know on the one hand i can see where this could be a very useful thing on the other hand it sounds like an absolute nightmare yes it absolutely does but nightmares are our business and we've come to the end of our show at uh triple r shirts i love that (laughs) but we we have come to the end of our show so thanks to our guest this evening dr tao fan currently still in the studio with us thanks so much for coming on the show thanks for having me and uh (laughs) nico king from chaos theory games who was talking all about the australian game developments awards which he ducked into a closet to tell us all about Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.